You can get your worship guide out. We're in a series called Freedom. Everybody say Freedom. Freedom. And this is part two of the series. How many of you here last week? If you could raise your hand and tell me you were here last week. Good, good, good. Okay, for those of you who weren't here, I'll try to, you know, capture and, and uh, get you caught up as quick as possible. But uh, by way of introduction, the Freedom Series is based on the idea that people aren't living fully alive. That people are, uh, they're, ex- they're existing, but not really living. Uh, they're doing time, not redeeming time. Um, they're running from problems instead of maybe realizing they could be the solution, uh, perhaps, to the problem. They're breathing, uh, but their beliefs have them in bondage. And bondage was a word we kind of unpacked, uh, slavery or enslaved to something that keeps us from being free. And so last week I gave you a picture of freedom to the best of my ability uh, with illustration, with videos, with words. You know, there's an old adage that says a picture is worth a thousand words. And so uh, I probably used at least a thousand words to try to give you a picture of freedom last week. But in lieu of uh, what we talked about last week, not doing the same thing, here's another kind of word picture. And uh, kind of following up on our 9-11 memorial that just transpired, uh, looking back at those attacks and thinking about those a little bit, I thought I'd, I'd, I'd gain or regain a picture with an article that my wife sent me. And I appreciate this, honey, that you sent me this. But this was called An Ode to America, and it was um, written by a Romanian newspaper a newspaperman, and he was pro-America. This was written on October 12th, 2001. Let me, let me read this, and I promise you it won't be boring. Uh, normally, I don't read things uh, that long. It says, why are Americans so united? Referring to uh, how everybody kind of galvanized in this tragedy. They don't resemble one another even if you paint them. They speak all the languages of the world and form an astonishing mixture of civilizations, some of them nearly extinct. Others are incompatible with one another. And in all of the matters of religious beliefs, not even God can count how many there are. Still, the American tragedy turned 300 million people into a hand put on the heart. Nobody rushed to accuse the White House, the Army, the Secret Services, that they are a bunch of losers. Nobody rushed to empty their bank accounts. Nobody rushed on the streets nearby to gape about. The Americans volunteered to donate blood and to give a helping hand. After the first moments of panic, they raised the flag on the smoking ruins, put on T-shirts, caps, and ties in the colors of our national flag. They placed flags on buildings and cars as if in every place and every car there could be a minister or a president passing by. On every occasion, they started singing God Bless America whenever they could. Silent as a rock... I watched the charity concert broadcast on Saturday, once, twice, three times a lady. Sorry, it doesn't say that. On different TV channels. There were Clint Eastwood, Willie Nelson, Robert De Niro, Julia Roberts, Cassius Clay, Jack Nicholson, Bruce Springsteen, Syl- Sylvester Stallone, James Wood, and many others whom no film or producers could ever bring together. The American solidarity spirit turned them into a choir. Actually, choir is not the word. What you hear was the heavy artillery of the American soul. What neither George W. Bush at the time, of course, nor Bill Clinton nor Colin Powell could say without facing the risk of stumbling over words and sounds was being heard in a great and unmistakable way in this charity concert. I don't know how it happened. 
that all, these, all this obsessive singing of America didn't sound croaky, nationalist, or ostentatious. In fact, it made you green with envy because you weren't able to sing for your country without running the risk of being considered chauvinist, ridiculous, or suspected of who knows what mean, what mean interests. I watched the live broadcast and the rerun of its rerun for hours, listening to the story of the guy who went down 100 floors with a woman in a wheelchair without knowing who she was, or the Californian hockey player who fought with the terrorists and prevented the plans from hitting a target that would have killed hundreds, maybe thousands. How on earth were they able to bow before a fellow human in such a way? Imperceptibly, with every word and musical note, the memory of some turned into a modern myth of tragic heroes. And with every cell phone call, millions and millions of dollars were put in a collection aimed at rewarding not a man or a family, but a spirit which nothing can buy. What on earth can unite Americans in such a way? Their land, their galloping history, their economic power, money. I tried for hours to answer, humming songs and murmuring phrases with the risk of sounding like they were just commonplace. I thought things over, but I reached only one conclusion. Only freedom can work such miracles. See, God placed in the human condition, I think, this desire to be free. God put something there that man can point somewhere else. And I believe this was a good thing to point to, so please don't misunderstand. A deep conviction of a nation's freedom can galvanize a diverse people. 9-11 shows that. Everybody came together amidst tragedy. But how much more can an understanding of freedom in Christ provide to you and to others and bring eternal life to those that would accept it and also provide help in this present life? I'm here to talk to you about freedom in Christ this is what this series is all about. And last week we mentioned different people who um, characterized this free spirit. Uh, they, were, they were living free, and they're not the norm, and they're, not, and they're the exception. Uh, they were people who lived at a different level. Uh, Moses and Elijah and Joshua and the three Hebrews, and, and you could pick people in the New Testament. Paul who said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm here, this, I'm going to live free. If I die, I'll be free. And, of course, Jesus, who modeled freedom more than any person on the planet and said, in fact, I came to set at liberty or to set people free from being oppressed. See, he offered us freedom so that we could have it not only eternally but also not just in the when and then but also in the here and now. Can I have an amen? And so our big idea is that the most powerful person on the planet is not somebody with uh, uh, great riches or, or fame or a followship on social media or a great business or an, even an army behind him. The most powerful person on the planet is a person who's really free. Amen. Really free. And I'm trying to get you to see that that freedom is found in Christ. Everybody say in Christ. Now, last week, we talked about a weapon that helps us get free. And one of those, by the way, we talked about another weapon on Friday night. Who was here on Friday night for our encounter service? Anybody here? Amen. You guys putting your praise on, everybody? All right. So we learned about some of the weapons that help us stay free in this crazy nuts world where the Bible says there's a spirit of heaviness. And so the Bible says to put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. We are living in a world where there's despair and depression and anxiety at an all-time high. And the Bible provides weapons for that. And the weapon is the garment of praise. Amen? But one of the other weapons we'll talk about today, which is kind of a, a piggyback on the last couple of points of last week, is the weapon of the blood of Jesus. Everybody say the blood of Jesus. 
Today's message is called There's Power in the Blood of Jesus, okay? And I don't know about you, but I was raised in church, and so some of you weren't. Some of my upbringing was good for me. Some of it was bad for me. But we had a lot of songs about the blood of Jesus. And, and, and it's funny because they had good doctrine that I think influenced our thinking, our behavior, and our attitudes that, that I think is missing today. We used to sing songs like, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of... All the church people coming along. What can make me whole again? Oh, precious is the blood that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no, nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's a good one, isn't it? Remember, remember, yeah, that's good. That's awesome. I remember um, some of the fast ones. It used, to, it used to have kind of a Johnny Catch, boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom, chicka. Like it was like, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. Who knows it? Of the Lamb, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Oh, I could keep going, but I won't. <laughs> Uh, would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. And then it kind of goes, there is power, power. You got to get that little rasp in your voice every time. <laughs> there is power. Sorry. All right. Anyway. <laughs> It's good to talk about the blood of Jesus. This is just one of those things that I was asking the Lord. I'm like, how? It's, I remember my mother, this is back in the day, but when I was going to school early on, she would give me cod liver oil on my way out the door. How many know that's the worst way ever to go to school? <laughs> Can you guys extend your hands for me and just pray for the, the scars and the tattoos <laughs> upon me emotionally? But in, that, in a nutshell, this is a message where it's like you may not get as excited about it, but this is really good for you, and I hope it changes you. Amen. <coughs> turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to be good. <coughs> turn to your second choice and say, it's going to be really good. <coughs> and that's the technique so I can get a drink. Okay. <coughs> All right. So I think if we knew more about the blood of Jesus, we'd have a different experience. But the reason I'm talking about it is because we need something to overcome the struggles that we have in this life. Pastor, I don't have any struggles. Really? You struggled to get here. You struggle to get out of bed. You struggle not to eat the third donut. You struggle to be nice to your wife and your kids on the way to church because you're going to be praising God, but you were cursing the kids on the way over. You have struggles. You got issues, okay? But some of our issues are more severe than that. Some of our issues are in the relational realm where we and the enemy, I think, deceives us or masks our problems when they're really patterns, See, I, I'm, I, there's, no, there's no problem with problems, but when problems become patterns, there's a bondage that's being formed. There's a chronicity uh, to, your, to your character it's be, when the thing's happening over and over again. Point in case. Relationally, a lot of us are going from one relationship to another. I'm not satisfied. Yeah, I couldn't find it. I, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I can sing a song, but I won't. But you go from one guy to the next guy to the next guy. You go from one girl to the next girl to the next girl. What does that show? You're in, you're in bondage. You're not free. 
That's why Jesus went to the woman in the well, and he said, I've got something, a drink that you could have that will actually satisfy. Your five husbands won't. See, so we have to be honest, and we have to be uh, uh, truthful about our current condition. So I'm sort of wanting you to see, this is where I'm really at, so you have an appetite to want to be free, to be desperate to be free, because what you continue to tolerate, you cannot change. Some of you are afraid of dying. I, I, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't like the dying part. <laughs> I know to be asked from the bodies, be present with the Lord, you know, but it's just like the process of dying. But some of you are literally fear, fear death. And so from mosquitoes, <laughs> listen, it's like, I don't know, it's like seven cases in seven million people. You know what I mean? And we're like going outside like, ah, ah. In the middle of the night, we're under our sheets like, did you, was that you, honey? Ha, ha. <laughs> My wife's like kicking me in the middle of the night. Thought there was a mosquito. It was a mosquito. It was a hug. <laughs> can, I, can I touch you? Not now you can't. No, I'm just kidding. She didn't do that. From mosquitoes to germs, you know, we're freaked out. Getting on airplanes, we're afraid to get on airplanes now for all kinds of reasons, from cancer of the mind to cancer of the body, you know, from catastrophes to disasters, we're afraid. The Bible says in Luke chapter 21, speaking of the end times, which we could be in, it says that men's hearts will, men actually is mankind in this particular translation in the original language, but men's hearts will fail them for fear. In other words, all these things that are going on around us, people are getting more and more and more afraid. Listen, it's going to get worse. Woo, thanks for, thanks for reminding me to bring a friend today, Pastor Derek. That's awesome. <laughs> Maybe you're afraid of, of, of surrendering control or missing out on an opportunity. Maybe uh, you're... you're you're, you have an emotional pain or a physical pain. And so in order to overcome the stress or the distress of that situation, you've had to medicate it. But we don't like to talk about those things in church or in real life or out loud. But the reality is from sleeping pills to trying to lose weight pills, from steroids to opioids, from, you know, whatever it is, nicotine to THC, from alcohol to amphetamines, we're trusting in something other than Jesus. And we won't admit that we need to be free. And we need to get honest about what it means to be free. God wants you to be wholly dependent upon him, sanctified, set apart, justified, just as if you never sinned. He wants you to live a righteous life, a holy life, and that's only possible if you're free in Christ. And so to be free, you first have to, number one, write this down, accept the role of an overcomer. We talked about this Romans Chapter 8, verse 37, after God tells us through the Apostle Paul that nothing can separate us from Christ's love, then he says, no, not, that can't do it, that can't do it, that can't do it, here, 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 above the earth, on earth, beneath the earth, nothing can separate you. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God's called you to be a conqueror. That means an overcomer. But we got to stop trying to solve our problems with all these worldly methods by building my life and the uh, acquire gone haywire sickness. Or we're going to try to control our life and make it all perfect. I call it peace like a pond Christianity. The Bible doesn't say, I got peace like a pond. I got peace like a pond. 
No, there's no way to have everything tranquil and serene and just, just, just placid all the time. No, 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 no. It's going to be crazy on the outside, but you can, have, you can have peace on the inside. Because my peace is not, Jesus said, like the world gives. The world gives perfect, you know, circumstantial peace. God gives peace like a river. That means you can be in hell and smell like heaven. That means you can be going through hell and you, can, and you won't live there. You'll overcome and get out of it eventually. Is everybody with me? But, but, but it also doesn't mean I'm just going to spend all my time fixing me to get free either. Freedom is not, oh my gosh, I got to get over this problem. I call them Christian limb pickers. I got to get over this problem and this problem. Oh my gosh, I just got over that problem. Now there's another problem and a problem. So many. Oh! You'll spend the rest of your life fixing yourself when Jesus wants you to be free by introducing you not to more problems that you look at on yourself, but to a bigger problem that's outside of yourself. And in the process of that, you overcome your problems when you join with others doing kingdom work. Can I have an amen? Amen. He wants to show you that, what it means to be free. But you have to accept that when you become a Christ follower, you've been plunged into a battle or a war. I don't have time to teach the full context is for, but from Revelation chapter 12, uh, I believe it's referenced in your notes, 7 through 13. This is kind of a big subject. Eschatological events means end times, end the world kind of stuff. But it also refers to this war that was in heaven between the angels. Ultimately, this war is not between the angels because the angels there won, but now the fallen angels are here to disrupt mankind's interaction and connection to God in heaven. So we're sort of like in three levels, three heavens. There's a physical heaven here on earth. God created it actually like that, but we kind of messed it up a little bit. When I went to Alaska, not too long, not too on my sabbatical, I got to see an unadulterated part of the world like, this is what God did by himself before we messed it up. But, but the physical realm is the first heaven. The third heaven is where God is. In fact, the Bible even uses that term. I, people pray sometimes, and it talks about them going to the third heaven, which means there has to be a second heaven, and there is. And sometimes this is referred to as the heavenlies, or theologians call it a mid-heaven. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the Bible's telling us we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities rulers of darkness in high places. And so there is a realm in the middle where these angels were once are now here fallen under a temporary leadership, jurisdiction, oversight of Satan, who was once Lucifer, son of the morning, turned renegade, as my daddy used to say. And that, 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 that area is trying to keep you here from connecting to God there. And there's a battle. And so most of our battle is won at that level. In fact, the earth is not, um, how do I say this? The earth is not the, um, the center of the universe. The earth is more the stage. And God and these angelic hosts are looking at us. We can do something here on earth that influences heaven to change our reality here. Are you tracking with me, everybody? And so there's this battle that you're in. In fact, there's an example in the book of Daniel. I know I'm blowing some people's minds, but 
In Daniel chapter 10, I want you to see the significance of knowing who you are in God and the weapons you have. One of those weapons is prayer, doing spiritual warfare. Daniel prayed for 21 days. The Bible says in Daniel 10, 21, the first day he prayed, his prayer was heard in heaven. So cool. But he didn't get his prayer answered till the 21st day. And then the angel shows up, and Daniel's praying, taps him on the shoulder. He looks up, angel's there and says, Daniel, hey, it's me. You know, I, I probably would have freaked out, passed out. Who knows? Peed my pants. But there's this angel, and he says, I heard your prayer on the first day, but I met resistance. And there were spiritual forces in this mid-heaven, this second heaven, that resisted those prayers. So, but, I, but I'm here now. Your prayers got through. And heaven now is coming to earth to meet your need or meet your request. See, what you do here influences what can happen there coming down to here. Don't minimize. It's significant for you to know you are in a battle, but you can win those battles if you know how to use the weapons that God has given you to fight those battles. Is everybody with me? Number two, write this down. You have to not accept the role of an overcomer. You have to appreciate the blood. Appreciate uh, the blood. Now, I'll give you kind of a before and after picture real fast. And I'm going to paraphrase a ton of scriptures today for the sake of time. But in Exodus chapter 12, contrasted with 1 Corinthians 5. In Exodus 12, it's the story of Passover. It's an awesome text. Basically, basically we talked about this last week, so you can get a fuller understanding of it by looking back. But basically, uh, the people of God were under the oppression of the Egyptians. God sends a deliverer to set them free. There's this final plague for, for them to, for the king and the Pharaoh to release them. And it's this angel of death that would pass over all of Egypt, including the Israelites who were in Egypt. But if they had the blood upon their door, the, uh, the Israelites would be spared. The destroyer would not come upon them. And this Passover uh, required the sacrifice of a, a, a perfect, spotless, blemishless lamb. That was the requirement. There had to be blood shed. In 1 Corinthians 5, that's kind of an imperfect solution for a temporary problem. But in 1 Corinthians 5, we see a complete or perfect solution. The Bible says that Jesus is our Passover lamb. He's our sacrifice for our sins. Is everybody tracking with me? The difference is it was a once and for all sacrifice. It was a perfect sacrifice. Never, no more sacrifices have to be made for those who by grace through faith accept what Jesus did for us. And so if you know what the blood did for you, you can receive righteousness. That means right standing with God because of what Jesus did for you, not because of what you could do or, or, or anybody else could do for you. And so you have your identity now in the blood of Jesus, not in uh, or, 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 and, and you can have your right standing now, not temporarily, but permanently. Let me explain it like this. How many of you know your blood type? Raise your hand if you know your blood type. Okay, good. Wow. That's impressive. I, I don't even know mine. Anyway, most people are O positive, okay? Um, and this, it's the most common. The most rare is AB negative. Uh, but there are two types of blood 
referenced in the scriptures that are significant. And if, if you understand them and appreciate them, it's going to help you a lot in your spiritual walk. There's two words used. One is called the shed blood of Jesus, and the other one's called the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. Some of you know what I'm talking about, and like, I don't know what that means. And so the shed blood of Jesus, and there's a scripture we're going to reference in Hebrews chapter 9 that they can put up. The shed blood of Jesus is referring to when Jesus got on the cross for you and he shed his blood. His blood was poured out. The Lamb of God, all, all his blood was shed for you. That was a one-time payment for sin. No payment would ever have to be made again. It was a once and for all sacrifice. Multiple scriptures reference this, but because he was perfect, spotless, blemishless, uh, and, 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 and fulfilled all the requirements of justice, you and I don't have to pay for our sins anymore. It's called imputed righteousness. You get something that you don't deserve and you're acquitted for your mistakes, your sins, and even the consequence of death because somebody came in and paid your bill. And if you, by grace through faith, receive that, you become a more free person. Because now, listen, 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 your sins are no longer under the bridge. They're under the blood. What does that mean? That, see, when you sin in the Old Testament, your sins were under the bridge. You sinned, and then you had to make a sacrifice for sin. And then a few days later, a few minutes later, a few seconds later, you sinned. You're going to have to make a sacrifice for that sin or you're separated from God. So you had to do it again. It's under the bridge. That means it's like dead bodies always float downriver and they come up again, right? So, but when something's under the blood, it, you, you, when you confess your sin to God and you, by, faith, by grace through faith, accept what he did for you, that sin is seen no more. And so this war that takes place in the heavenlies against you, the Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. And he stands before God day and night, accusing you of your character, your conduct, and your sins. But if you've received what the blood did for you on Calvary 2,000 years ago, it silences the accuser, and he can't say anything about you. In fact, if he says something to you, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you, you can just go ahead and agree with him. Because it doesn't matter because God doesn't base, your right standing is not based on what you did. Your right standing is based on what Jesus did and his shed blood for you. Can you give the Lord a big praise for that? That's awesome. All right, so go to uh, Hebrews chapter 9. That's not the scripture I want. Hebrews 9, 13, okay? You got it? Here we go. So there was... In the Old Testament, an imperfect. In the New Testament, we see a perfect. So the shed blood refers to a one-time payment for your sins, giving you right standing with God eternally and a new identity in Christ. The sprinkling of blood is for when you sin after you've received Jesus. Has anybody as a believer, and I know there's a lot of believers in the room here, and some maybe are pre-believers, but as a believer in the room, have you ever sinned after you came to Christ? Raise your hand. There's a bunch of liars in here right now that didn't raise their hand. I, I did. This is what the sprinkling of blood is for. It's for when you sin after you came to know Christ and received what he did for you, okay? So the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so they're outwardly clean. In the Old Testament, if you made a mistake, you had to go through this sacrifice, but you were only outwardly clean. Now, in a New Testament, with Jesus, our Passover, our sacrifice, where is it? Keep going. 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, a better, more perfect, complete sacrifice, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our what? 
our conscience, all right? And so when our conscience is clear, our conscience is clear, we're more likely not to sin. The reason people sin, the reason people are not free is because you're guilty all the time. Guilty people can never be happy. Guilty people can never fulfill the purpose and plan of God for their life. You're not free. But when you apply the blood, the sprinkled blood of Jesus to your sins, you're still saved, but you feel separated. You're still in covenant. You're still married, but you're not divorced, but you're out of fellowship because you sinned. What do you do? The sprinkled blood of Jesus for that. So how do you apply it? Let me give you that next point. Write this down. You guys tracking with me right now? So to, to apply the weapon, you have to apply the blood specifically, specifically to your situation. So last week, I used an illustration where my daddy would pray over me. How many remember the illustration where my daddy prayed for me? I prayed over my kids, my, then I prayed over my grandkids. Amen. So that was a 30,000-foot view of the application of the blood to your situation, circumstances, location, address, whatever word I used. I want, to get a little more, I want to get a little more into this, okay? This is, called, this is what we call recapitulation as theologians. So we got to teach it, tell them what we told them, tell them again, okay? So you get it, because I don't think you really got it, because it wasn't time to get it. Write this down if you're taking notes, okay? We overcome Satan. This should be on the screen. We overcome Satan when we testify personally to what the word of God says that the blood of Jesus does for us. We overcome... Satan, when we testify personally to what the word of God says the blood of Jesus does for us. I'm going to unpack that statement. But basically, Revelation chapter 12, uh, verse 11 says, they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. How do we overcome? Well, we overcome by the blood. We got to know the blood of Jesus and its power and appreciate it. We have to know the word of God. There's promises that we have to familiarize yourself. If you don't know the word of God, one of the best ways the enemy beats people up is he keeps you ignorant of the promises of God. You don't know the weapon. The word is actually referred to in Ephesians as the sword of the spirit. But many people know that the word says or reference it as the sword of the spirit. But the Bible says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That means you have to go get the sword and use it. I should have got a better amen from this charismatic church. Come on. Okay? All right. So testimony, word, blood are kind of the key phrases in this particular text. Now, what happens is um, we're, we're in, take the Old Testament picture. The, the, the lamb has been sacrificed to offer for sins in the Old Testament uh, so that the angel of death will pass over. God gives instructions. The blood is drained into a basin. It's all captured. All of the blood is important and precious and perfect and it's taken very seriously. And then those people take that basin into their home. Now, are those people who have the blood of that animal inside the house protected from the angel of death? The answer is No. Unless they take the blood that is upon the basement, basin and follow God's instructions and apply it to the door, then the destroyer would destroy them as well. Listen, this is a hard part of theology and pastoring that I have to do for you. See, a lot of believers, you're okay here, but you're going to be bludgeoned here 
If you don't learn how to use the blood of Jesus and transfer it from the basin to the door. Let me unpack this. A lot of you are experiencing big problems in your life because you're ignorant of the promises of God, the power that's in the blood of God, and how to transfer it to not the door like in the Old Testament, but to your location, your situation, and your circumstance. This is a weapon that we are ignorant of lots of times, and that's why we're suffering. And that's why my daddy would go, in the precious name of Jesus, he would apply the blood to my situation, to my protection, to my health, to my choices, to the will and purpose of God for my life. Now, let me give you an example really quickly. And there's so many that we can do, but we're not going to do them all. Let me give you one from Psalms 107. Psalms 107 is a, this is a statement made about the blood. And what we're going to do is we're going to personalize it and we're going to apply it to a situation. Okay, and then I'll give you another one. Is everybody with me right now? Okay, so Psalm 107 verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord, what? Tell their story. Or one translation says, say so. I like that one a little bit better, okay? So let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Now, when I look at this text, sometimes you just got to step back when you're reading your Bible and go, okay, what is this saying to me? What is this saying to me? Uh, it's there's a benefit from the blood of Jesus that is there for me, I've been redeemed, saved, rescued from the hand of the enemy, but I have to say so. Turn to your neighbor and say, I gotta say so. In other words, you, you, the, if the fruit of your lips is silence, then you won't experience the benefit that comes from the blood and from this promise from the word of God. Is everybody with me? In other words, your lips are moving, like you, your lips have to move with this. You have to say it out loud. So, so we testify. So ha, testify, Old Testament, the only way to get the blood to the door was with hyssop. Hyssop, what's that? It's a, it, was a little, it was a little herb, a little branch, and you dip it in the basin, and then you put it up on the doorpost and on the lentil, and it would form a cross foreshadowing a Savior and a once and for all sacrifice that would come thousands of years later. Incredible, incredible, incredible. But the blood would have stayed in the basement, basin. Those people would have suffered if they didn't transfer it to the door, and the way to transfer it was the hyssop. And in the New Testament, hyssop is your testimony. You have to testify to what... The word of God says the blood does for you. And, and so you take these promises and you don't testify to your neighbor in a small group. Listen, you testify to your enemy. You say it to your enemy. So it looks something like, Satan, I want you to know something. And God, I want, you, I want to say this in front of you. I thank you, God, for the blood and for redeeming me and removing me from the hand of Satan. You, Satan, I'm no longer in your hands anymore. I was once taken captive, but no longer. Thank you, Jesus. I'm free. That's personalizing that promise and applying the hyssop to my situation, circumstance, or whatever I'm dealing with. Let me give you another one. First uh, John 1, 7. Put the scripture on the, on the screen. The scripture says, but if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship one with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So this verse is more or less about being cleansed. Actually, you just have to take my word for this. Some of this you don't have to know, but it's just cool to know this, that this is the original language. The verbiage is in a continual uh, it's a continual verb tense. In other words, if we continue to walk in the light, 
and as he is in the light, and if we continue to have fellowship one with, the, one with another, then the blood of Jesus will continually cleanse me from all my sins. That's actually the original verbiage or how it reads in the Greek. Is everybody with me? But listen to this. It's so cool, and it relates to what's going on in our, in our church culture today. You see, it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and if we have fellowship one with another... Then the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness or, or cleanses us from all of our sin. So if we're not in fellowship with one another, then we're not in the light. Woo, what? We're in the dark if we're not in fellowship. The evidence that you're walking in the light is that you have fellowship. And if you get out of fellowship, you get out of the light. And if you get out of the light, then the blood of Jesus can't cleanse you. Listen, there's always a connection between a promise of God and a vertical, a vertical and a horizontal reality. You can't, the blood of Jesus won't continue to cleanse you if you're not in fellowship with one another. See, I hate that point, but that's a good point, Pastor. See, you need to be in community with other people because that's the lab of life where you work out and you practice living a free uh, Christian experience. You need to be with other people. You will become continually more free and cleansed when you walk in the light in accordance with his word and you're in fellowship with one another. How do you know you're walking in his word? Because you get to apply it with your brother and your sister. Some people say, uh, basketball is not a good, football is not a small group. There's nothing spiritual about that. Have you ever seen the character of people in sports? <laughs> I beg to differ. Amen. So, so there's so many, I want you to see that people, the problem is people are not transferring the power of the blood to the situation, circumstance, or location in your life. You transfer, just like in the Old Testament with hyssop, you transfer it by test of personalizing what God says in his word, the blood does for you. Okay, final point. Everybody get something out of that? Last point is absolutely commit. Absolutely commit. So for you to be free, there has to be absolute commitment. Revelation 12, 11 says this, the last part of it, and they did not, these believers, who overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, did not love their lives even unto death. <laughs> this, I wish I had music behind me going, dum, 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 you know? <laughs> See, in other words, whether they lived or died didn't really matter. They were totally committed to what? The will of God. They were totally committed to the will of God. See, there's no, some of you have served in the armed forces or a branch of the military, and when you did, whether you were drafted and some people in the past were conscripted or you willfully did it, there was no government official that came up to you, offered you a certificate and said, here's a guarantee that you will never lose your life. Pause for effect. In fact, people willingly signed up for those military branches knowing that there was a possibility that they could lose their life. Now, I would venture to say that none of you are ever going to lose your life for the name of Jesus, but you're supposed to give your life a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which the Bible says is your reasonable service. And if you were willing to let go of your life completely and let Jesus take control of your life, it's then you're free and you can bring that freedom to other people in Jesus' name. Are you with me? So I want to encourage you that this is a sort of enlightened self-interest is to surrender your life completely to Christ in order for you to experience total freedom. First John 2.17 says, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. 
So when you unite your will to his will, you are unstoppable, unshakable, and cannot be defeated. Because you have not held on to this life so tightly. Self-preservation is not your priority. Your priority is to do the will of God himself. Can I have an amen out there? I'd like you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Did you get something out of this, everybody? Thank you, Jesus. In just a minute, we're going to transition, and you guys are going to have a chance to fellowship, and hopefully that many of you who are here today will take a next step. In order to walk in the light as he is in the light, we need to have fellowship one with another. I encourage you to make a connection. Uh, we would love for you to make this church your home, but even more than that, we'd love for you to be in a community with one another. It, it's, 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 it's the reason we do it. It's biblical. Another reason we do it is because it's the best way for you to grow. Another way, reason we do it is, is, is because that's where freedom comes. And so I want to encourage you to take that next step. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're far from God and maybe you think your sins are separating you from him, it's so cool, but you have... You have a lawyer and you have a substitute. The Bible says, my dear children, these things I write unto you that, if you, that if you sin, you have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the substitute, the propitiation for your sins. And not for your sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. When you sin, there's a lawyer that wants to go before you on your behalf, advocate for you against the accuser. But you have to receive Jesus as your lawyer by grace through faith. When and because you've sinned, sometimes you feel separated, but Jesus wants to come in as a substitute. You don't have to pay for your sins anymore. He will sub in for you so you don't have to pay for your sins. And if you know that you're in a condition where you're separated from God, you feel far from him, distant from him, you're not here by accident. You are here. It is a divine intersection for you to make a supernatural decision that can change your life forever and lead you on a path of freedom. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, please, honoring the person to your right or to your left. If that's you and you know he's speaking to you, I want to pray for you, but as a sign you're saying yes, I want you to raise your hand. Just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Good night. I don't want to miss it. Good night. Good night. Thank you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you're listening online, you can respond right there online. You can just say yes to God by raising your hand. There's a little thing on the bottom there. You can just raise your hand. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Maybe you're here today and you know Christ, you have that eternal security, but you haven't been willing to lay your life down. You haven't been willing to absolutely commit. And you know today is the day for absolute commitment. You're willing to take that next step. You know in order for you to be free, there has to be absolute commitment. If that's you, just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm ready to go all in. I'm not going halfway. I'm all out. I'm not a cop out. I'm not a drop out. I'm an all out person today. This is, this is the day where I go all in. God bless you all over the room. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. That's awesome. Church, would you just say this prayer with me? In those, that first group in particular, I'm, I'm leading you to a place that will just literally change your life. Just say this. Say, Jesus, I thank you for salvation that was made possible because you shed your blood for me. I receive that you paid my debt with your precious blood. Salvation is made possible. My eternity is secure by faith now in what you did for me. Jesus, I thank you that when I sin, I can sprinkle the blood of Jesus on my circumstance and on my situation and be free. And you provide for me 
a clear conscience and a path out of these, the difficult circumstances that I might face in Jesus' name. Lord, there is power in the blood. Come on, church, let's say that strong. Lord, there is power in the blood. Let's say it again. There is power in the blood. In Jesus' name, in all the church said, amen and amen. God bless you guys.